the unity of the transcendentals in the metaphysics of man. A speech by Ferdinand Ulrich from 1960. 1. Man as the transcendental horizon of this speculative undertaking. In order to enter into the inner logic of the theme that determines the operation of human thinking, it is necessary for us to reflect in a recollective way on the place of the speculative unfolding in which everything converges and connects, and which, moreover, enables and sustains the path of our transcendental interpretation, the being of beings. We are always already on the way to this place that is, to the original beginning of the path of thinking. But this does not mean that, prior to this, we stood outside of thought's movement toward being as being. If it is true that the human intellect knows being naturally, and that there is nothing extrinsic to being other than non-being, then we begin as always already having been with being in our thinking. This leads us easily into the temptation of thinking that we already have the labor of this path beyond us, insofar as the being that has always already been given and possessed renders the steps that would mediate it to reason superfluous. If the goal already calls to us in a radical way, it would seem to imply that we have already crossed the path that leads up to it, leaving it behind us, as a thing of the past. But being does not exist in the mode of a goal that provides a foundation to thinking, in the sense that, while we were impotently on the path, it would remain stubbornly at a distance from us, until we threw ourselves into being, by means of a blind leap into the pure beginning, through the resolution, to will to think in a pure way. Instead, being preserves a difference from itself within itself, which places us in the not yet of thought's movement toward being, that is, into the speculative dimension of hope. Ratio, which composes and divides, destroys this element of hope the moment that it separates itself from the intellect's disclosedness in the light of being, insofar as it thus fixes thought in the always already having been with being, and makes all of the eventuating coming toward of being as the gift of divine self-communication, a fight accompli by recasting its evermore into a having been, thus absorbing it in the past, and so grows old in an advent-less sort of way. Conversely, the abstract ratio drives the thinker in the direction of a self-withholding future of being, which refuses ever to enter into the having been of essence. In this case, being remains a perpetual task without ever becoming a gift, and thus is never able to be perceived or received. This perpetual future keeps the thinker in childish immaturity bound to the ever-new and constantly frustrated beginning of the legacy that swallows him up. But what reveals itself in the ontological difference which thinking acquires in the element of hope? We experience being in a thoughtful manner as the infinite and unlimited actuality of all acts and as the enabling ground that sets us free in our self-enactment. It opens up to us as the light of the spirit, to which nothing is external, and which thus takes up our receptive reason into the quadamodo omnia of concrete existence. Being is complete and simple, and thus fullness. But for Thomas, it is neither a being nor God nor some subsisting mediator between the absolute and the finite in the sense of a platonic idea. God is subsistent being itself, and in this sense he is not a being, but rather transcends all substances. To be sure, we call a thing an entity insofar as it has some share in being, 
and thus subsists. But it nevertheless remains the case that created being, as such, does not subsist. It is therefore in this sense a non-entity, or, according to a certain understanding of the term, it is nothing. For Thomas, we cannot say that being itself exists. In this particular sense, being and nothing are interchangeable. The essential fullness of this convertibility is the root of the unfolding of the transcendentals, as I will show in a moment. Along these lines, an apparent contradiction seems to come to light in the place of the speculative unfolding. The sentence, finite reason is always already involved in being, now runs thus. It cannot be involved in a being that clings to itself in the unlimited manifestness of its truth, or else being itself would be hypostasized as such. It would be conceived as something separate from that which is, and its convertibility with non-subsistence, nothingness, would be eliminated. It is thus that having been with being calls us to listen in obedience to the necessity of its non-subsistence, and to come into contact with being, to encounter being, there where it has always already subsisted beforehand as having been, prior to the transcendental explication. On the one hand, this means that we make contact with being there where it is, in, through, and with the essences, essentiae, that receive it as infinite variety and multiplicity, the world of finite entities. On the other hand, we open ourselves precisely in the pull of being toward finite subsistence, and so far as we continue faithfully on the little way, advancing toward the presence of being and its infinite subsistence, which surpasses and includes all of the intimum of being in the finite. In other words, we open up to God himself. In thoughtful obedience to being's non-subsistence, we cannot avoid addressing the question of God, a question that gets reduced to the extent that being itself, or as such, is taken for its own sake as something that clings to itself in juxtaposition to God. But because finite reason, which is conceived ontologically as anima intellectiva, on the basis of which man is what he is, cannot simply stand outside of being qua being. It thus follows that not only is reason called in obedience to being's non-subsistence, to that which subsists infinitude, and therefore to that which subsists infinitely, to the world and God, but it is also in this same obedience that the theme of man is transcendentally unfolded. Because man stands receptively open in being qua being, he is thus brought from out of this radical pull of non-subsistent being toward finite subsistence into the ownness of his self-standing, into the place where this pull has always already been surpassed and included in the ontological having been in the embodiedness of his concrete being in the world. Thus, to the extent that he obeys being's non-subsistence and freedom, man reveals himself in his concrete existence, in a certain sense, as the transcendental focal point of the movement into subsistence, or of being's self-finitizing, made present. 2. The Conditions of Possibility for the Transcendental Unfolding of Being Because being does not allow itself to be identified with beings, we are thus able to sustain the difference of being from subsistence and our thinking, and to determine it further out of its transcendental indeterminacy without objectifying the horizon of being, capturing it in finite beings, or allowing thought to get stuck in hypostasized being. But let us recall that being itself, as it follows its transcendentally unfolded path, 
not in the sense of a modus or of an ens de potentia in actum, to subsistence, has always already itself surpassed and included every addition that we posit in the sense of a determination of reflection or differentia rationis. It is always already affirmatively itself, that is, not nothing, or in other words, it has been its essential nature, so that nothing can be added to it as an external nature. For every nature, whatever it may be, is essentially being, ends. But the affirmation of being in itself does not exclude its convertibility with the nothing, non-subsistence, as one might easily be led to think. To the contrary, it requires this convertibility, for the interchangeability of being and nothing means precisely that being can never be hypostasized for its own sake and reduced to a potency that is able to receive determination. It can never be neutralized into an objective medium of finite reflection, and nothing can ever be added to it from the outside that does not already belong to being beforehand. In the wake of the essentializing and the substantializing of being into an ontotheological bond between God and beings that occurs in modern metaphysics, we are led to hypostasize being into a determinable potency, praeter res existentis, and thus we fail to grasp its non-subsistence as transnihilation through to the finite subsistence. The being that is substantialized in the ontological vacillation, because it is grasped praeter res, must necessarily also transpose itself into the intellect, since this is the only place it can occupy next to and outside of existing beings. The univocal concept of being, A equals A, which is closed in on itself against its non-subsistence, thus becomes responsible for saving the positivity of being from coming to naught in its submergence in the things that are. But being in its abstract identity, A equals A, against the nothing implies its neutralization, the indifferentiating of the positivity of being in its finite subsistence, which first comes to light precisely from within being's non-subsistence in the vacillation. Hegel recognized this and sought to rescue the positivity of being from its self-exchange with the nothing. The surviving being, however, was nothing but the actualitas essentiae, which means that being was thus logicized. Now, because being was conceived from the outset in this manner, not even Hegel was able to set it free in its super-essentiality through the self-exchange with the nothing. To the contrary, it was the breakthrough of speculative thinking that allowed the abstract to be made concrete. What we see here is the revelation of an ultimate conceptualization of being, which has been radicalized in the most extreme way possible in the fire of negation, in which the non-subsistence of being makes itself felt as nothing. The convertibility of being and nothing, if it is properly understood, nevertheless proves to be the condition of possibility for a super to being through the self-enactment of spirit, whereby being itself expresses itself in the otherness of a self-unfolding, without the resulting new mode of being already falling under the name of being. Indeed, nothing is ever expressed that did not always already belong essentially in being. If being as such were nevertheless to remain an abstract identity, A equals A, sealed up against the nothing, non-subsistence, and hypostasized in the concept, we would indeed be able to bring to expression what being always already essentially has been, 
but only in empty concepts that objectify being for the understanding and resist all mediation. Such a concept of being would allow us to sort it out by means of external additions, and we would be able to determine the transcendentals only through the abstract differences of the understanding in the isolation of subjective thought. 3. The Rays To be does not subsist. Instead, being is mediated into the unity of its subsistence through the essential forms and the non-essential emptiness of matter, which arise from it insofar as nothing can be external to being as the ontological principles that enable its finite subsistence. Therefore, the essence proceeds from being. At the same time, however, it is presupposed, posited beforehand, in a unity per sapsem, and not by any participation. The essence does not receive its unity through participation, as it receives being and goodness. This is why the unum relates indifferently to being and essence. All the great temptations to essentialism lie hidden in nuce, in thus non-participated unity of the essence, per sapsum. It entails, moreover, the danger in the speculative enactment of the transcendental unfolding of being's mediation, of ascribing an otherness to infinite being from inside the horizon of finitude qua finite, on which the infinite would thus depend. In this case, there would be an element extrinsic to God's creative self-mediation, which would place a limitation on it. But because finite subjectivity grasps itself within the same event of being's movement of finitization into subsistence, it is not able to eliminate this otherness with respect to its personal self-reception, even within the horizon of its own existence. It would remain trapped within the objectivistically conceived objectivity of its natural conditions and would be deprived of its self-enabling. This transcendental consequence shows its truth in history, not only in Greek essentialism, but also in its modern version. Being, which does not subsist as such, thus enters into itself through the essence that possesses its unity per sapsum. It gathers itself inwardly together, and thereby arrives at a mediated sameness with itself, without in doing so surrendering its difference from the entity. This path toward subsistence, however, does not begin in a being that exists next to things, a being that would first have to acquire its infinite integrity in the finite. Instead, it begins in the being that is conceived by reason, which is preter res, only here, and which has always already antecedently transnihilated itself, or, in other words, affirmed itself through, in, and with the recipient essence, so that it is constituted through the principles of the essence. Indeed, being results from the principles of the essence, and has always already been posted in unity with the essence. Therefore, rays expresses the essentiality, or the essence, of the entity. 4. The Unum The Unum also finds its determination on the basis of the affirmatively expressed positing of the essence, through which being comes to a stand and subsists as rays. Next to the things that are, that is, in the vacillation, if we, if we may put it thus, being is not something that is undivided in itself and distinct from the other, unum. Indivision reveals itself from within the positing of the essence and its unity per sapsim, 
and from within that moment of being in which the principles have always already been fused together in the positive reality rays. This is why Aquinas says that being undivided belongs to each thing according to its essence. 5. The aliquid. This essential being, which is posited in itself as unparticipated unity, necessarily also entails an otherness, an other something, insofar as the many essences, essentiae, divide being into the many entities, which in their particularity are not, like being, able to have only nothing external to themselves. For this reason, every quid is an aliud quid, which is why the entity always already reveals itself as aliquid. It is only subsistent being itself that, as the holy other that has nothing outside of itself, is a non-aluid. 6. The step toward the verum and its anthropological structure. The enactment of the speculative unfolding had its beginning in the insurpassable priority of the entity, which discloses itself in the ontological difference between being and finite subsistence. Up to this point in our interpretation of the ontological difference of being, we have unfolded that moment in which being has always already been positively given as essentially having been in the reality. Obedience with respect to being's non-subsistence is what placed us in this dimension of the positivity of essence, since the essence is past, but timelessly past, being. Yet being is not absorbed by the essence, even if it is radically transnihilated through it, which is why the intellect perceives being in obedience only insofar as it conforms to the essence of things. If being were to be absorbed by the essence, then its movement toward subsistence from non-subsistence would be absolutized, and we would lose sight of the fact that the essence is, to be sure, posited as really distinct from being, but as posited must nevertheless proceed from being, for there is nothing external to being. Being is the actus actuum and the perfectio omnium perfectionum. It is a completum et simplex, precisely as non-subsistence. Being has therefore not surrendered its super-essentiality in its transnihilation through to the res or the positive reality, but preserved it, just as it is always already res, unum, and aliquid in the dimension of the positive reality, so too it preserves its manifest ideality as verum precisely therein. For truth is more originally founded in the being of the matter than in the essence, just as the name being derives from to be. At this point, following the pull of the matter, we therefore transcend the positive reality once again into the difference of being from its subsistence, from which we originally entered onto the path. It is extraordinary that Thomas introduces the anima humana here, at this decisive moment, wherein the ontological difference breaks open anew and the verum and the bonum are now unfolded, and thus brings to speculative expression the focal points of the movement into subsistence, the normative pattern of the ontological difference, namely man. Doing so, he transcendentally sublates what would otherwise have been falsely objectified. 7. The Verum A. The Essentialized Verum and Absolute Subjectivity We may name the dimension of the convertibility of being and nothing, the horizon of the crisis of being, 
insofar as it is from this dimension that being arrives at the transcendental decision for finite subsistence. But just as this horizon can never be held in suspense, and the radical transnihilation of being through to the positive reality cannot be refused, in the same way the human intellect, which from its very essence grants correspondence with all being out of its sameness with being in this dimension, a sameness that the crisis keeps from becoming a false identification, may never sacrifice this crisis of being for the sake of the positive reality. The verum cannot be safeguarded over against the rays. The moment that the intellect ceases to experience its essentially having been with being from the perspective of being's transnihilation through to the rays, but desires instead, by means of its conceptualizing power, to seal being up with itself in ideality against the contradiction of the non-subsistence and thus secure it, it holds being fast to itself as an infinite ends qua tale, casts a veil of essentiality over it, and substantializes it. Being thus leaps over the genuine essence, which is posited as really distinct from it, in union with which it is always already actual, positively given reality. Through the cunning of reason, being preempts its kenosis and the movement into subsistence, its self-surrender into finitude, and thought thus transforms the transcendental thematic of being's futurity, its coming towardness as gift, into a thing of the past. Or in other words, being is transposed into a pseudo-essential pastness. In this case, being and the finite subjectivity connected with it cling to themselves. The spirit thus separates itself in pure, ideal, a priority from the opaque, a posteriority of sensibility, and thus from its concrete grounding as embodied spirit, which has always already preceded it. At the same time, it withdraws itself from the self-emptying surrender into its being in the world and fragments its relation to the reality of the material world. The human spirit no longer has the capacity to grant correspondence to all beings with respect to their concrete material and natural subsistence. The original nature, that is, the essence that is posited as really distinct in the movement of beings' finitization, is replaced by a second nature, which keeps being in the a priority of the ontological hypostasis. Man's dominion becomes absolute, and in the great movement of his transformation of the world, everything becomes subject to this power center, to which there is nothing external. Being no longer has a genuine difference from the concrete subsistence of the entity. The ontological difference is leapt over, and man transubstantiates being itself into a new world horizon. The visio beatifica falls to earth, becoming a worldly paradise, which is nothing more than the self-knowing of finite subjectivity, because, insofar as the subject subsumes being as such, along with its concrete subsistence, into itself, and thus closes the ontological difference, it presumes to have laid hold of nothing less than ipsum esse subsistence. In this emancipated transcendental subjectivity, being now comes to itself in the medium of the intellect's self-reflection, in a subsistence of the second order. This means that the intellect likewise attains to a new subsistence of the second order. Man creates himself in freedom, insofar as he grants being to the world from his own good graces, letting be that which originally stood in itself. B. The belonging together of being and man in the verum. 
The self-exchange of being and nothing, that is, being in its non-subsistence within the horizon of subjectivity in its transcendental reflection, roots the process of thinking at every turn in the posited rays, but at the very same time releases thought into the manifestness of the truth of being. It therefore follows that the dissolution of the crisis of being, by contrast, inevitably results in an absolute fixing of thought in the rays. Since the super-essential dimension of being as being is thus essentialized into a reality ether that diffuses itself in the medium of consciousness. Ends and rays get identified. But if the essential determinant of the rays, which is the foundation of being's transcendence, is taken away in the act of abstraction, or in other words, separated from being through the speculative foregrasp of reason that stretches out beyond the entity, then what we are left with as a reminder is the mere nothing, that is, being as an empty fabrication of the conceptual power. The moment the rays is closed up in itself, thinking slides into the void. In these circumstances, the intellect either renounces all transcendence and abandons itself to the defiance and unrestrained ferment of the substance, or it replaces the now futile foregrasp out into being qua being with the busyness of the unrestrained ratio at work, which is tied to the essential sequentiality of the rays and is always on the way, amid its multiplicity, seeking things out and making connections. But in this condition, the intellect is adventless. Thinking has made being grow old, binding it to the essential pastness of the rays, and thus banishing it to the facticity of the things that are. Thought thus loses its capacity to receive and appropriate the poverty of beings giving itself over into finitude. The intellect is captivated by the pseudo-wealth of the hypostasized truth of being and binds itself to the apparently comprehensive, all-enabling power center of its self-affirmation. But subjectivity preserves the super-essentiality of the unlimited fullness of being precisely in the transcendentally affirmed poverty of being's transnihilation and finds itself able, by virtue of this obedience, to come to correspondence with all being. It is right here that we discover what it means to say that the intellect has its proper place in being. Verum thus never comes to pass in a mere contactus of the intellect with the rays, or as a representatio of the rays in the intellect. Instead, being and man always already belong together in the manifestness of the truth. Because of being's non-subsistence, this belonging, which is a listening that is perceptive of being, has always already sent us onto the path and involved us in the variety and multiplicity of the finite. The understanding that divides and composes is accordingly nothing other than reason on the path. Transiens de uno aliud. The verum thus does not allow itself to be enclosed within the factical rays and substantialized against the subject. In this sense, Hegel is right to say, everything turns on grasping and expressing the true, not only as substance, but equally as subject. C. The temptation of reason in the crisis of being. Being is more interior to every race than that whereby being is determined, that is, than the principles of the essence. The intellect's capax entis must therefore be a superessential dimension of pure receptivity, unbounded by the determining essentiality in order to be able to enact the foregrasp 
out into super essential being qua being and take up into itself the essential forms of the beings that are known. The speculative possibility opens up here to conceive the intellect as empty, unformed spirit, which does not keep itself outside of being, but enters into being and the foregrasp of thought. In this way, the intellect rises above the rays, which derives its name from the essence, above the understanding that is related to things as rays materialis, and above sensibility, transcending thus into the truth of being. As reason emptied of all essence, it transcends every finite, essentially determined reality. But the possibility seems to be given to the non-substantialized being as such, to unveil its pure positivity against the de-essentialized intellect, since the de-essentialized intellect cannot essentialize, that is, substantialize, being. One wishes from this perspective to overcome the danger of a fixing of being, whether in reality or in ideality, insofar as the essential fixation of either ontological moment, the hypostasis of being or the rays, is supposed to be broken through by a de-essentialized, that is, de-logicized, pneumatic reason. So what does this mean exactly? Empty reason allows being qua being, since reason in this sense adds nothing to being, to resolve itself back into itself from out of the foregrasp and to affirm itself in this empty projection in its positivity, that is, in either finite or an infinite subsistence. In this way, being, which is through and through unstinting gift, gets provoked by reason and tested to see whether it is able to hand itself over to subsistence. Being as self-giving love thus falls under the judgment of reason, which is empty, makes itself the standard by which to measure everything else. In this case, however, the transcendental horizon of being, even if only in the disappearing moment of a determination of reflection and the process of thinking, is fixed a priori into an immediate, that is, a not yet mediated, beginning, in order subsequently to arrive at its determinate, finite subsistence. The nothing being in its non-subsistence, or in other words, the transnihilation of being, is thus introduced by reason as the ether of being's self-preservation, and being is now driven into the concrete precisely in the element of consciousness. In this case, being surreptitiously clings to itself in the ideal vacillation, as it were, in defiance of its true finitization. Subjectivity refuses the obedience of being. It does not take being's non-subsistence seriously, but instead devalues its finitizing into a mere appearance, which once again disappears at the end of the transcendental interpretation of being's self-mediation to its finite subsistence. At bottom, the fullness of being remains hypostasized in its origin. It is not taken up into the finite in the process of mediation, but instead does nothing more than use its surrender as a way of demonstrating its power. Interpreted from within the horizon of finite subjectivity, this means that the deepest intellectual humility unveils itself most profoundly as a hardened hubris. The tax collector turns out in reality to be a Pharisee. What this particular form of being's not clinging to itself encounters does not manage to affect it in spite of the speculative Good Friday, Hegel. At bottom, the fullness of being remains logicized and sealed up definitively inside of itself and preserved in abstract and unmediated identity, A equals A, from its non-subsistence. There has not been any breakthrough into superessentiality. 
In the end, the wounds of the spirit have to be scarred over. I believe that Hegel underwent this temptation and indeed did so in the gargantuan effort, which, in my opinion, has not received anywhere near the reflection it deserves. To think being, which has been hardened in abstraction against its non-subsistence, in a speculatively concrete way, by negating this negation, nothing equals non-subsistence. This implies setting the spirit loose inside of reason, which thus provides the medium within which the incarnative concretion is then supposed to take place. In the end, Hegel's concept represents nothing less than being's movement into subsistence, reinterpreted as spirit, in which the spirit becomes objective to itself by bringing its most original themes of life into the act of reflection. 8. The Step Toward the Bonum Everything is decided regarding the relationship of the verum and the res to the bonum in this crisis of thought. If we isolate the truth of being in itself, we are unable to preserve being's superessentiality, since we would thus skip over the self-emptied transnihilation. In a similar fashion, the res is dissolved the moment that it seals itself up in its positive givenness over against being and its superessentiality. But in both cases, we have neutralized the difference between being and subsistence, the elements of hope mentioned at the outset. The entity that discloses its innermost self in the transcendentals transcends the rays because it receives its name from to be. But it also goes beyond the essay completum et simplex of ideality, which does not subsist, insofar as ends refers to the subsisting being. The innermost heart of being thus sets forth the verum and the res in their sharpest profile. But at the same time, because it is the center of being, it mediates them to each other. This moment in which the positive reality, res, and the ideality of the true open up to each other, the moment in which they are not ordered to each other, but are super essentially mediated and affirmed in their super essentiality, the moment, that is, in which the interiority of being manifests itself, we call the good. 9. The Bonum A. The good as the dimension in which the accidents unfold and the ontological present of subsisting being. Being does not arrive at itself through, in, and with the essence in the transcendental self-enactment of subjectivity out of the manifestness of the true in a single step. If it did, then, since Ajure follows upon Esse, the substance would have left the enactment of its self-actualization behind itself, so to speak, and made it into the already having been of the essence, that is, made it a thing of the past in the rays. It would have failed to enter onto the path. It would have clung to itself, which is to say that the act of being would have collapsed in a radical way into finitude. All of the coming toward, the futurality of being, in the sense of concrete self-enactment, would have become a has-been. Subjectivity would never enter into the actual da-sign, the being there, of its ontological presence. But both the hypostasis of being and the monadic res are overcome in the good. In this moment, the procession of the accidents is unveiled through, in, and with which the substance gives rise to itself, affirms, empties, and recollects itself. In this way, the sameness of being with itself has its seal in the good, and so does the truth that subjectivity comes to be in the future, precisely what it always already was. Its having been, however, 
is broken open into the super-essential dimension of the future, the coming toward, which is to say that a path opens up before it. But the entity acquires its presence on the basis of these two moments. In the good, it is opened up to the other in itself. It comes out to meet the other. That is, it gives itself away as something to be pursued. Appetibile bonum diffusivum sui. The merely factical rays, by contrast, can only be overpowered, and the being that is hypostasized as verum can only be seized by the will to power. The depth of Thomas's vision comes to expression in his affirmation that the entity is called good only secundum quid with respect to its substantial act of being. But according to the actualizing acts that unfold in the dimension of the accidents, it is called good simpliciter. And this is for the sake of the most ultimate possible radicalizing of being substantiality. B. Intellect and Will We saw that the factical rays comes to light all the more sharply, or in other words, all the more absolutely, the more empty reason hypostasizes being in ideality. The immediate in-itselfness of the rays, which steals itself against the intellect's threat to dissolve it, is in this case already overcome a priori and constructed, However, since the intellect has usurped the source of being, out of which the rays is posited, the rays that is sealed up in itself thus challenges the intellectual power to crack it open. At the very same time, however, it drives thinking back into the autonomous subject, because every recollective taking in of the rays and knowledge can occur only in the form of a theft. The rays gives nothing of itself. Thinking's taking up residence in the self-withholding truth of the ontological vacillation also fixes subjectivity in itself and imprisons it in itself as something always already complete. Knowledge occurs in every instance as an absolutely interiorized introversion of reflective consciousness, which no longer needs to come out of itself in an act of will, because it is no longer able to aim at the concrete subsistence of being, which indeed does not come to pass in the infinite space of the empty intellect. But the possibility of essentializing the intellect in ideality and reality is overcome in the good. For the good unveils being as something to be aspired to, and thus pronounces judgment on the introverting operation of the knowing being. It decides that the intellectus capax entis is not able to enact the movement into subsistence wholly on its own. But finite subjectivity breaks open toward its other, the concrete subsistence of the entity, precisely because being thereby claims and affirms itself in its concrete subsistence, that is, undergoes its finitization. This is the ultimate foundation for the claim that truth lies in the intellect, while the good lies in things. We are therefore never able to aim at and will being qua being, such as the intellect perceives it, even though we are open to it from the very depths of our spiritual being. Otherwise, man would have no personal subjectivity. Because we are resolved to being qua being, by virtue of the intellect capax entis, in which freedom has its roots. We have to will what is other than ourselves in order to will ourselves, since the ipsum esse does not subsist in juxtaposition to God or to existing things, but affirms itself in the multiplicity of the finite. Otherwise, being would be hypostasized. The light of being would shine directly into the potential intellect in an unmediated way, the conversio ad phantasmata, that is, the turning toward the individual this such, which is given to the senses, would be dissolved, 
and it would be false to say that the soul is embodied precisely for the sake of the intellect capax entis and has always already poured itself out through sensibility into its being in the world c the poverty of the intellect and the will the poverty of the intellect which does not cling to itself in the ontological vacillation but empties itself into sensibility and takes its measure from the essential form of the material entity now brings forth its depths in the poverty of the will for the good does not add any negation to being instead it unveils itself in the purely affirmative positing in which all negation is negated and the complete being manifests itself as perfectum being in this way adequate to itself and having resolved itself to be itself as being in subsistence to be positively itself as fullness being is also able to make the will poor on the basis of this positing as poor as only that can be and become which strives after the infinite fullness of being the good thus liberates the will and at the same time releases it into its own neediness the good makes the will empty and thus inspires it exuberantly as love to become one with the ineffable mystery of divine love only on the basis of this poverty can the will strive after being in its pure positivity and can man transcend himself toward immediate intimacy with the inner heart of all things real the will and love thus reveal themselves in an original transcendental poverty just as the empty intellect which is capax entis allows the superessentiality of being qua being to show itself in its deessentialized poverty without forcing it to subsistence through its nothingness which would eliminate its poverty so too the poor will which is ordered to the good affirms the pure interiority of the subsistent being with itself an inwardness that casts aside all negativity it is in a position to affirm entities and their being without itself having to remain outside because love transforms the lover into the beloved absorbing nothing into itself the will illuminated by the intellectus capax entis sets all being free affirmatively releasing it into its own self standing by virtue of the dynamic of its poverty which is never able to be reflexively recuperated in this poverty the subjectivity that is capax entis reveals itself as fidelity 10 the logicizing of the good now from all that has been said one might infer the following because it is still the case that being and nothing exchange themselves for each other in the ideality of being it follows that nothing yet has been decided regarding the positivity of being in this transcendental state by contrast being affirms itself in the rays even though it does so in such a way that the excluded nothing non-subsistence still clings to it in some sense we have to admit that in so far as it takes its name from the essence the rays still stands within the horizon of otherness in this case the rays is the other of its other whether that be in the finite realm or in relation to the infinite essence of god in the rays to be sure being is recollected in itself but it is only in the good that no negation is added to it the differentia rationis which the intellect posits as being's relation to itself is even more excluded in the good than in the true which means that being is more radically released to its selfhood in this dimension than it is in that of the true in contrast to its being posited in the rays 
in which being is impotent to affirm itself insofar as it remains unmediated in a self-sealed fixity, being is wholly and completely itself in the good. Here it has to arrive in being there and the entities coming out to meet each other are required to unfold themselves in this ultimate positive self-exhibition of being into the realm of love. In this way, being transposes everything into the comprehensiveness of its absolute knowing presence. But what are we presupposing if we conceive of the good along these lines? What decision are we making here, even if we make it in secret, as a speculative a priori. To the extent that the de-essentialized emptiness of the intellect is presented to it as an objection, being is emancipated from its fixity and the understanding's categories and its substantializing and either ideality or reality, and so allowed to enter into itself or let be. It is resolved into the movement into subsistence through a reason that identifies itself with the will, which, as spirit, is able to carry out the negation of the negation, non-subsistence, all the way into the intimate heart of the good. Being is thus meant to arrive at itself through the essence in its self-interiorization. It is permitted to affirm itself insofar as it excludes non-subsistence as positive reality rays, and elevates itself into the self-standing of free, rational subjectivity. This occurs through the negation of its non-subsistence in ideality. What corresponds to this negation is once again the mediation of the fixedly isolated res into the universal that now makes itself concrete. Because it is originally empty, however, Thinking absorbs into itself the being that it receives through its enactment of the movement into subsistence. The will, which is ordered to the good, now comes to the aid of the intellect by helping it to exclude the nothing in the manner described above. In doing so, the will keeps the intellect from being captured by the ways already concretely subsisting material entity. In other words, it does not allow the intellect to fall prey to the world of sensible realities into which it pours itself as will that lets be. Instead, the will lets being be in an intra-subjective subsistence of a second order by which absolute subjectivity raises itself up so as to be all things in all things. Love is thus nothing but the medium, the battlefield on which self-consciousness carries out the process of absolute self-interiorization, the logicized extension of reason, its paraclete, and the finitude that can be endured only through mediation, the advocate against the abstract understanding, which fixes being, as A equals A, against any non-subsistence, and is unable to carry out the negation of negation. Love thus becomes the executor of reason, which frees the understanding more and more into the depths of the speculative reason that celebrates its resurrection as spirit. Here, the hidden theologumenon of the logicized good comes to light in full clarity. Love is the medium in which the logos, as spirit, negates the finite as empty otherness which he nevertheless contains in himself as mere logos, in the moment of abstraction, and having negated it, sublates it, and thus establishes the universal realm of love, his body, as the realm of spirit. 11. Man's Transcendental Self-Unfolding In our carrying out of the speculative unfolding, we have already entered deeply into the essential core of the human being. Thomas says that in the human soul, the simple essence represents something like matter, while participated being relates to this matter in a manner analogous to form. 
As we have seen, being itself does not attain to itself at a single stroke through the simple, posited essence. It became clear in the transcendental moment of the good how the substance breaks open into itself from out of its wholeness through the accidents and in the horizon of personal subjectivity attains to its ontological presence. But just as being qua being does not subsist in ideality, so too the human spirit, which is opened up into being, is not able to cling to itself in the simplicity of its essence by virtue of being's formal quality. Instead, on the basis of the formal element of being, formale has nothing to do with the formal essence in this context, but rather indicates the dynamic integrity of essay, which enters into subsistence through the spirit that conceives it, the human soul has always already broken out into its ontological presence, into being there, da sign, through the mediated procession of its powers. This procession, however, has to occur according to the basic outline of being's movement into subsistence, in accordance with the ontological rhythm of the unfolding of the transcendentals. For man, as person, has presented himself to us as the ontological focal point of this movement, enabled by virtue of his specific obediential belonging to being. He is the director, the guiding pattern of the ontological difference. Just as the transcendentals present themselves as the self-expression of being in its movement into subsistence, so too do the soul's powers arise according to this order in the same movement into subsistence from out of the finite human spirit, which is capax entis. This procession does not take place only in the sense of a fall from something that was originally whole, from an anima simplex, but because being and nothing are convertible with one another in the crisis, it occurs as the spirit's positive self-revelation. The spirit that reveals itself here is not one that clings to itself and presents itself in a univocal way, but rather one that surrenders itself in obedience to being. 12. Prospectus At this point, there would still be much to say. Among other things, we would have to explain how Western thought arrived along the path of liberated subjectivity to the reality of the person, or how this process was set in motion through the interplay of three concrete worldly dimensions, namely the transcendental dimensions of Rome, Athens, and Jerusalem. It is worth reflecting on the fact that today, as globalization gathers together a single humanity, we are called once again to undergo the task of man's self-enfolding on the basis of a new experience of being. One of the questions we would have to ask is how the aforementioned three worldly dimensions take their place in this particular age of the world and man's self-understanding and how their transcendental orientation has been reconfigured. Another task would be to expound the power of the soul that would correspond to the positive reality next to the intellect, verum, and the will, bonum. Here we would have to develop a metaphysics of feeling, of attunement, and of Dasein's fundamental mood, in which man has always already been essentially in the world, ahead of himself, having been involved in the world and taken up residence therein. We would have to show that man has the capacity not only for the true and the good, but also, by virtue of his ontological freedom, for that depth in which he has always already surpassed himself as spirit in the world, prior to every recollective introversion and canonic extroversion. In this context, we would be able to bring to light at a transcendental level the power of memoria, in which all knowledge of truth and all acts of loving transformation into the interiority of the good are gathered together in a unity that resists reflection's dissolution into parts. 
The only word that can do justice to this power is the invincible and yet profoundly vulnerable word heart. Man's a priori perfection and truth and his perfected transcendental openness into the good have their fundamental roots therein, just as does the most intimate unity of the spirit and body that constitutes the indivisible reality of man. The heart is the incarnation of the poverty of the being that does not cling to itself and all its inexhaustible glory. If we were to affirm that the power for the positive reality of man unveils itself in memoria, then the preceding reflections ought to guard us from thinking of memory as a thing that somehow stood over against the transcendental enactment of knowledge and love and was conceivable only as the unmediated foundation that might give those acts a ground, but would not be fructified and enlivened by them. To conceive man in this way would presuppose that the positive reality were isolated over against its mediation from out of the transcendental depths of the movement of finitization, that is, as a merely posited quantity sealed up in itself which could allow its mediation only in appearance. This temptation, which we fall to again and again, was nevertheless overcome on the path of thought that we have just attempted to follow. It is from this perspective, then, that we would have to determine the theme of provenance and coming toward in the self-presence of the heart, as well as that of beauty, as the harmony of being's transcendental self-exhibition by means of subjectivity. It is only in this depth that the epiphany of being as love can reveal its finitized glory and unveil itself in the impotence, that is, the non-subsistence of its glory next to God in a visible way. In the ultimate seal of the speculative unfolding of being and beauty, Thinking has been set free from all temptations to reduce the truth of being to conceptuality and empowered on its knees as obedient vision to the most original ability to be as the fruit of having received. But that to which thinkers bend their knee at the end is something that remains along the way, a matter of hope. 